0: Oi, my aching heart. Now, generally, that would be the occasion to go to the emergency room, but in our Parsha, Parsha Vayera, the phrase has a very, very different meaning. Today, we're going to be dealing with the question of Paro's hardened heart, the fairness and the justice of it, on the Tanakh Talks podcast. Hi, I'm Yaakov I'm broadcasting on Erev Shabbat, Tafshin Pei, 5780. In Olon Shvut, we're overlooking the hills of Jerusalem, and today we're going to be talking about the classic question of Paro's hardened heart. Way back at the beginning, it was already clear that Paro would take some convincing. As Hashem Himself said to Moshe, I know the king of Egypt is not going to let you go without a strong hand, so I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with various wonders, which will work upon him, after that he will let you go. The suggestion that the power will not listen immediately, will not jump up and say, sure, I'll let a million slaves go. Why not? That's quite plausible. Why would the king of the most powerful nation on earth even listen to such a suggestion? The fact that Hashem knows that this will be difficult doesn't really show any sort of omniscience. It seems logical for anybody who thinks about the issue as it is. But when we get to the next chapter, this was from chapter 3, Chapter 4, Hashem speaks to Moshe again. He says, When we return to Egypt, see thee perform before Paro all the marvels that I have put within your power. I will, however, harden his heart, that he will not let you go. And this becomes the crux of our discussion. What does it mean to harden his heart? Is God preventing Paro from exercising free choice? That's the apparent understanding of it. How is it fair for God to do this? On one hand, You harden his heart so Paro can only make one choice, to refuse the request to release the Jews, and then you choose to punish Paro for that same obstinacy. So let's look carefully at some of the answers given by our commentators. Perhaps the first, I remember the first time I came across this answer, was Rav Sajigon. Rav makes a very simple thing, to harden a heart means to make his heart strong, so Paro does not have a heart attack. He does not go into cardiac arrest. It's an interesting idea, and it's, plausible in the context of what's happening to him. But that doesn't, however, explain how God knows that if Paro does not have a heart attack, how he, ref- he will refuse to release the Jews. We then go to a comment by Rashi in chapter 7, verse 3, later echoed more or less by the Rambam in his laws of repentance. Rashi states as follows, will stiffen. After Paro acted wickedly towards me, it was clear to me that the idolatrous nations do not have the sense to repent with their whole heart. Is therefore a good and just that God harden his heart in order to multiply his signs, so that you will recognize his might. This is the way of God. He brings calamity upon the nations, or that Israel may hear and fear them, as it says in Zephaniah chapter 3. I've wiped out nations, their towers are desolate, I've turned their roadways into ruins, no one passes by their lands. Their towns lie waste without people, without any inhabitants. And I thought that she, meaning Israel, would fear me. But then Rashi makes a fascinating comment. Even so, in the first five plagues it does not say "and God stiffen Paro's heart, but rather Paro's heart stiffen." So Rashi really makes a comment with three parts. First of all, why would God harden Paro's heart, which is Rashi's own understanding? Proof from the Talmud that this is the way God treats the world in general. But then, the observation that God waits until the sixth plague, In other words, despite the first two comments, Rashi is still sensitive to the problems of, Paro's, of Paro being deprived of his free choice. And therefore, he appends the final point, that Paro still had really ample opportunity to comply. It was only after a certain time that God punished him by refusing to allow him to repent. And therefore, he draws upon the Midrashis, the Midrash Tanhuma. This, of course, is the approach of the Rambam in general. The Rambam is the one who says that one of the punishments that God may put upon a person, and Rambam does not distinguish between Jew and non-Jew, but one of the punishments that God may choose to punish a person with, if the sin is severe enough, is the loss of free choice. You may do something so bad, so horrendous, that God may choose, I will no longer give you the opportunity to return. Now you must be punished. And in order to make sure that that happens, God will remove the free choice from you. My beloved teacher, of David Fuchs, Zichron Tzadik Le'abrachah, who passed away last month, he used to describe this as a person who would jump off a building, 100-story building, because he wanted to get a better view of the sky. As he's falling, he's amazed by everything going around him. But suddenly, he notices that he can, just, that the view of the road, the pavement below him, is getting clearer. Around the 50th floor, he turns to God and says, "Listen, I've changed my mind. Can you please p- get me up on the top of the building?" Nope. He's falling faster. Come to the 30th floor. The person looks around and he says, "Listen, God, I really, really, I, I if you want, I'll go back and I'll take the elevator. I don't want to get to the ground that quickly. Really, I don't." Come to the 15th floor? God, God, just get me back up there. I'll take the stairs. Anything, please. But by that point, it's too late. There are times where God, according to Rambam, and this is what Rashi seems to be saying in his comment here, where God may choose to say, part of the punishment is you no longer get to choose anymore. I've already chosen to punish. The fact that we have free choice and can exercise it does not prevent God from exercising punishment. And the moment God chooses to Punish is the moment that we may or may not have the ability to repent, to prevent that punishment from happening. There's a second approach, and it's really very interesting, and it comes from Nachmanides. Nachmanides in Shmot Perak and it says as follows. And let me just read the exact thing here. Here's a, sorry, it's, a numb, it's in Shmot Zain Gimel, it's in Shmot chapter 7, verse 3. I will answer the question, says Nachmanides, that all those who read this narrative will want to ask, if God hardens Paro's heart, what is his sin? So listen carefully to Nachmanides. The reason is that Paro in his wickedness committed unwarranted acts of evil towards Israel. As a result, God removed his ability to repent. There are many verses in Torah that suggest that a person can be judged by one's earlier actions, i.e. his ma'asav and therefore, what's being said here is, because of the cruel and unusual nature of Paro's behavior, he's entitled to a cruel and unusual punishment. And therefore, it's perfectly just and fair for God to do so. Perhaps an interesting modern approach is that of Rav Yaakov Meidan. Rav Yaakov Meidan says, if you look at other places in Tanakh, specifically the story of Ichon, Sihon, Sichon, who refused to allow the Jews to go through his country, came out to attack him. Devarim tells us that, in fact, God hardened his heart so that he would go to war against them. But what was the hardening of the heart? So Rabbi Yaakov Bidon suggests that Sichon looked at the Jews' previous behavior. They came to Edom, they begged, please let us go through. Edom said no, and then the Jews went on their way. They come to Moab, and they say, please let us go through, we'll stay on the highway. The country of Moab says no, and the Jews went on their way. So Sichon has two choices, to allow the Jews to continue through his land, or to refuse and possibly go out to war. Based on previous behavior, it makes logical sense that Sichon would expect, if I refuse, then I and I make a show of force, the Jews will circumvent my country well and go away. They don't realize that this time, that option isn't available to him. So in other words, God has hardened Sihon's heart, i.e. convinced him uh, to perform it in a certain manner, by presenting him with forms of behavior by Bnei Yisrael that would influence his decision-making falsely. Now let's look at the story again in Egypt. Paro takes the force of the first plague, the plague of blood. All the water of the Nile turns red. He turns to motion and says, listen, listen, just change it. Moshe says, fine. You promise Paro to let them go? I promise. It disappears. But when Paro breaks his word, nothing happens. The same pattern occurs with the second plagues. They bring across this whole plague of frogs. Frogs acro- cover the entire lands, and the beds, and the muffins everywhere. It's a mess. And again, Paro says, listen, if you... I pinky, pinky swear... I promise you all, let the Jews go this time. Really, all you have to do is just get rid of the frogs. Moshe does it again. And Paro again breaks his word. And again, there is no consequence. So what behavior is being strengthened or reinforced in psychological terms? The fact that Paro can make whatever promises he wants, but the Jews really aren't going to do anything. He just has to wait out the plague and the same game will continue. And he continues, and that's what continues his confidence in this, choosing this form of behavior. Says Rabbi Dan, even though in fact, when push comes to shove, it will be too late. Only when Egypt is led to the brink of ruin, its crops destroys, its buildings crumbling, its firstborn dead, does Paro realize God was serious. And this is the perhaps the saddest part, but the um, consequence of Paro's hardening of the heart. The hardening of the heart means that Paro was making choices, making assumptions about B'nai Israel's behavior, and in that way being misled. I'd like to finish with the thought of the Sforno. Ovadia Sforno says, there's two reasons we make decisions in life. We make decisions based on a cost-benefit analysis, and we make decisions based on what we really believe in. Ideally, those two align with each other, they match up. But what happens when that's not the case? Let's say, for example, Paro. Paro, in his heart of hearts, does not want to let the Jews go. Paro wants to hold on to them, continue to rule over another people, to enslave them, something that is morally wrong. But at a certain point in time, the advice he's getting is, let the people go. Not because it's the wrong thing to do, but because it's really not worth it. The cost benefit analysis does not justify holding on to them. From a purely economic point of view, Paro should have let them go a long time ago. So what Sforno says is, harding the heart is, like the famous Bill Murray character in Groundhog Day, what would happen, what would you choose to do if there were no consequences to your actions? If you remember the Bill Murray, once he realizes that, and the lights go on in his eyes, you know, he goes, you can do whatever you want. Why do I always have to follow their rules? Don't hit your sister, stand up straight, take it like a man. And of course, don't ride on the railway tracks. And this wonderful scenes of him enjoying himself and robbing banks and sleeping with girls and because there's no consequences to his behavior. What a wonderful feeling that was for him at that point in time in the movie. And that's precisely what is happening here. Paro is being told, what do you really want? Ignore the cost-benefit analysis. Now, we always make benefits based on cost-benefit analysis. It's not healthy not to. Whatever I may desire in my heart of hearts, if it's going to be damaging to me, it's generally not worthwhile to do it. But Sforno says that had Paro in his heart of hearts wanted to let the Jews go, had Paro out of his own free will not because his arm was twisted behind his back because of the consequences of the punishments and the plagues. If that was the case, then in fact, Paro could have let them go and Hashem would have stopped the plagues. Hashem's hardening Paro's heart says, What do you really want if there were no consequences, Paro? And unfortunately for Paro and for Egypt, to continue to rule, to continue to enslave, to continue to oppress. And so in fact, says for forno, the heart in the heart actually created the conditions for pure free will. Not free will based on I surrender, but not because I'm wrong, and not because what I do is immoral, but because, you know, it's just not worth the fight. But rather, the possibility where a person can come to the realization, I made a mistake, I'm sorry, I wish to do tshuva, to repent. I want to wish everybody a Shabbat Shalom, and have a wonderful, wonderful week. Next week will be in Canada. I will be speaking in Thornhill, Ontario Wednesday evening. An introduction to the new book that's coming out. The book is in the warehouse, thank God. I'll also be speaking about the book on Shari Shemaim in Toronto on Shabbat afternoon. So it's gonna be very, very exciting. I don't know if I'll be able to get a podcast up. Please, God, I'll be able, I will try to rec- at least record the Swarnosh the Shira, which will be Wednesday night. If not, wish everybody a wonderful week and Shabbat Shalom.